Hello and welcome to Creative Sessions with Creative People, the show by creatives for creatives, with me, your host, Alan Grant. Hello and welcome to episode three of Creative Sessions with Creative People with me, your host, Alan. Now, on this episode, I'm going to be interviewing the wonderfully talented Miss Serla Wright, a fantastic up-and-coming young actress who is going to be heading back to the UK this June after being stranded here in Ireland for quite a while with the COVID-19 virus. So without any further ado, here is the wonderful Miss Serla Wright. So my guest this week is a very talented lady. She is an actress. She is a musician. She plays the cello so, so good. She is an artist and she's also very good at languages as well. A very, very multi-talented, multi-faceted lady. Please welcome to the show, Miss Sarah Wright. Sarah, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good, Alan. How are you? I'm doing very, very, very good. I hope I had to give you a lovely intro there. So I hope you're feeling nice, nice and at easy. I can't big yeah. you up enough here on this show. <laughs> <laughs> leave with a big ego <laughs> so how are you doing I'm good good just kind of you know everyone else just waiting out the COVID thing waiting for restrictions to lift <laughs> I know I know and um, I know we were speaking before uh, before we officially came on air but it's good now you were saying you've got like projects lined up now you're going to be on your way back uh, you're, obviously you're currently in Ireland now at the moment so you're going to be on your way back over to merry old London fairly soon so you got to be excited about that Yes, I can't wait. Um, it was actually great. I had done an audition about a year and a half ago for um, a big theatre in London and I was like weeks away from starting the contract and it got cancelled and I flew home due to COVID and I thought that was that. But then a couple of weeks ago I got a call and the director just gave me part in his new production. It'll be a different production, it'll be in a different theatre, but I mean, that's amazing, you know, that so that I'll get to work with the same director and finally after like two years. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's amazing as well. And you were doing great work because um, I, I I was following you, like I was keeping up with you on social media, very proud of everything like that I can see you've been doing, especially like making the move. And we talk about this in detail, like moving over to Spain to study, then you moved to London. And I know... Um, that you did a lot of shows over there, including, I believe, A Christmas Carol at one point. Was that last Christmas or the Christmas before? Was last Christmas a COVID Christmas? Yeah. It must have been 2019 so... then. God. Yeah, 2019. I know the, it's kind of, uh, yeah, we have lost that year now. So oh, now no, it's kind of it's weird so to be surreal. like, oh, it's actually, you know, two years ago. But I remember seeing you in that and, uh, or seeing like the uh, the promos and seeing like the stills and that. And it looked like a great production. And I was thinking, wow, well done, Sarah, like making it in London. So that must have been a great, a great experience. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. It was um, I didn't I think it was when I had moved to London and I had signed with an agent. And I think it was I think it was the first audition I went on that she she, you know, put me in for and they, you know, they had asked for, um, for I think, a monologue and maybe cello, I think, and also a little bit of singing. And then I got a call back and then I got it. It was really, it was really kind of surreal, you know, cause like, I mean, like I'd wanted to be seen by a lot of different directors and casting directors, but it was also just amazing to just kind of get something. I didn't, I didn't expect for it to happen that quickly. You know, I expected to be, 
you know, doing the auditioning for, you know, a long, long time and doing that thing, you know, and it just was really nice to just kind of land a little bit on my feet. Like, I think I had two two months when I'd originally moved to London where I was working as an usher at Hamilton, Mm -hmm. which was absolutely insane. (laughs) I'd say so. Yeah, that show is incredibly, incredibly popular. Yeah, you you get very intense hardcore fans. Um, um, yeah, and it was like, it was quite interesting, like working in the theater in a non because I've done stage managing before, but it was interesting working in a theater, not behind stage, not on stage, but just as an usher, and it was quite like sometimes sometimes I found it a little bit difficult actually, you know, like watching other people do the stage thing every night and yeah. you having to just kind of pick up other people's litter and kind of get the get the gab off people you know i know because you want to be up there you want to be no yeah it's like a lit a lit a fire under my ass because i was like every time i have like you know clean up somebody's vomit or pick up someone's litter i was like one day you'll look back in this you'll look back in this and you'll be so happy like you know from where you came from yeah and you know that that's the attitude like you you have to have like that's definitely the attitude i'm sure you're probably dealing with difficult people there as well on top of litter and yeah and whatever else this is the last of my problems <laughs> oh but yeah. No, yeah but that's really good when you get that perspective and you think yeah like i'm going to work hard enough and then i'm going to be on that stage and i'll be looking back on this so that yeah, yeah. that's exactly the right attitude that you need to take yeah 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 because like london london was very difficult like i think i because i had left spain and i had done this thing like this kind of show nomination spotlight prize in london and then i was kind of I guess I had moved from Spain, but I hadn't gone back to Ireland and I hadn't settled in London. So by the time I came to London, I was so kind of all over the place and unsettled. And then going into London and working in, you know, just as an usher, it was just very, very crazy. And I felt very like ungrounded for like a lot of months. (laughs) Yeah. But look, you're definitely, you're making it now and couldn't be more proud of you. And like, like it like fair play to you like from working up from from that position to then getting that uh that role in a christmas carol and other productions that have spiraled because i'm you, you you've obviously done a lot of screen acting or over there as well i i think i've seen um not not too in london i haven't really done too much screen acting i had done most of my screen acting actually not like i definitely wouldn't have done as much screen acting as i would have theater acting mm. um, at all I did a little thing over lockdown actually in Ireland it was just like a music video okay very it was very random how it it was just very quick and kind of random it was in Offaly and I think it was just a day shoot or something um and screen stuff I think was quite limited to I did one little thing in Spain and then a few things back in Ireland before I had trained um before I moved up to Spain and stuff but and uh, not not too much I had done some stuff Christmas Carol was great because it was multi-rolling so it was just four yeah. rolls which you know you know from the ITC it wasn't it wasn't TIE though it was like a it was a it was actually a very I actually loved working out it was a very beautiful production the director was amazing Guy mm. Vitalik um in the Bridge House Theatre which I think now has kind of reopened and rebranded in a different location but still yeah. in kind of southeast London um and Guy's wife Rachel Tucker who is a very well-known um musical theatre singer I actually didn't I don't know the musical theatre world at all and when I had started the show you know somebody mentioned to me you know um oh I think Rachel Tucker has something to do the theatre I, I didn't know kind of what that meant you know and then I I was I was googling her name and I was like oh, that's who she is <laughs> you know was yeah. incredible like West End singer I think she was the first Elphabone West End and then I was working with um the woman who played Scrooge with Rachel Eisen and she just you know 
was so great to work with because she had so much experience you know I literally was like fresh off the grad boat like I was just no idea still I don't know what I'm doing like freshly graduated and she had so many stories from like Broadway and this and that and it was just like this huge wealth of information and yeah it was amazing yeah, so it was really good to just kind of sit down and pick her brain and yeah. learn from her experiences yeah, yeah that must be so cool like to do something like that yeah it was very or to very know cool. people like this now that because that's a contact now that you're going to have yeah yeah forward, you know? like it was just yeah so it was just really lovely and obviously it was a really small team so you could work really intimately with each other and also like I had the amazing opportunity of you know I had the character of Belle and then I also had Mrs Cratchit and then I also had like all these other characters we even did um a puppetry workshop yeah uh, which I love puppets I would happily kind of just do puppets for the rest of my life <laughs> like they're just so amazing like not even so much the Sesame Street thing but like really beautifully made like even like you know in Galway Mockness had puppets or Phoebe yeah. they would use I think it's puka puppets you know those beautiful amazing oh my god um so we did so much as playing cello and singing and jumping in from character to character it was like I felt like my brain was on fire like learning all of these lines in such a short time it's like it was four weeks rehearsal and it was just in like such an intimate space where like you can't you can't hide like there was like a couple of meters not even between me and the audience and we were like up in the audience and all the rest of it so it was really like it was a really great amazing thing to have just straight out of you know drama school yeah yeah really that's that's really really fascinating and yeah well done and like again you must you're going back to London now fairly soon so you're going to have a lot on your plate there yeah <laughs> that you hit on earlier the whole idea of multi uh multitasking multi-rolling yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe we should go back to the beginning because we obviously know each other yeah. we met each other 2014 wow uh, really yeah that's going back oh we've known each other now seven years I know it's insane it is insane uh, and we've kept in touch like since because yeah. we, we did the uh, EITC the uh, theatre and education tour together in France mm -hmm. and Belgium an intense eight months but we did it uh, had our ups had our downs um, <laughs> and yes yeah, so we've only sort of seven years now we've kept in touch obviously a lot throughout the years mm -hmm. um, so yeah going back to that experience because you were only fresh-faced 18 coming out of uh, secondary school there and that I was know. your first big acting job I know so it's so weird because I remember like I didn't like I had I think in fifth and sixth year you know before leaving school I had suddenly wanted to do medicine I thought I'm gonna do medicine and I suddenly decided that I was gonna actually pay attention to school and actually study and I was really gonna die and I for the first time in my life I loved wanting to do well in school so that was great but then at the end of sixth year I like had a very sudden change of heart but I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do so I decided I wasn't I think I got into, I took medicine off. I think I got into nursing because I left it on, but I just didn't do anything with it. Had a bit of a crisis, had no idea what I was doing. And by some weird chance, a woman walked into a bar that I was in when I was just 18. And I was just like, dude, it was in the middle of the day. I don't think I was like, had a drink, but I was just sketching or something and mm. doing art or something. And we got chatting and she gave me a job as an assistant stage manager in the Lear. And I remember, I because I think she was doing a master's and she had this production. Mm. And I mean, she literally just gave me the job. She's like, yeah, you can do this. And that was that. And I remember I walked into the Lear and I remember I she opened the studio door to the theatre. And I remember just like, I got this huge thing. And I was like, the theatre? Like, 
how did I forget about yeah. the theater? And I remember just having this feeling of being home and being like, it's like forgetting that I had a leg. I was like, how? I was wondering what I was doing. And yet the excitement of seeing a lamp, and there was nothing, it was like a black box. And there was like a few, you know, bare lamps hanging and it was just whatever. And I had no idea what I was doing as a stage manager. Like should not have been given that role at all. It was definitely a spur of the moment thing. And then I remember being like, yeah. And I did another job after that in as a stage manager in the fringe. And then I don't know how I found out about EITC, but then I auditioned, I got it, and then I just never looked back. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It all it all stemmed like if that woman hadn't have walked into that uh, bar or cafe and offered you that job, who knows? Would you would you be where you are now? It's it's just it's fascinating how it's just a simple little thing like that. So strange to change your direction, you know? I know, I know, because all I needed was reminding of how much I loved. I mean, like my whole family is really artistic. Like they're all musicians and painters, you know, like. Mm. Well, yeah, I just couldn't believe that I'd forgotten how much I loved the theatre, which I always loved. And I, I, was, I always wanted to do like little short films or whatever when I was 15, 16 and like really wanted to do that. I just forgot for two years. <laughs> God, yeah. Well, we're lucky enough that that woman was there at the right place, right I time know, to yeah. set you on this path. But I, I, at 18, though, to commit to that eight month tour, mm. like that must have been very daunting because I was in my, well, uh, my early 20s well early to mid 20s at that point in time yeah, I was yeah, like yeah. I was like 23 going on 24 at the time but yeah. at 18 you know for, taking on a big task like that how did that feel at the time I just remember feeling like my dream had come true like I literally like there was no there was no fear there was no like apprehension there was no anything it's like that it's like any time I get something in acting or I get a job I just feel like everything that's meant to be is meant to be like everything has aligned like it doesn't like of course there's apprehension of me going back to the UK there's COVID there's mm. me not being vaccinated yet there's a million things that could go wrong there's me being on my own there's me having you know, all the rest of it but like without a shadow of a doubt like it was what was meant to happen for that tour and I remember just being like this is a dream come true like there's no there was no question, there was no shadow of a doubt that I didn't, I didn't want it or anything. You know? Yeah. And I, I mean, what an eight months they were. That was. One eight months. <laughs> we went through some stuff together. We I mean, did. we had such good fun, but like, I mean, I honestly, like I still say to this day, the fact that I did an eight month tour where the majority was eight shows a week, five days a week, eight months and I can still do that through all of the stuff that happened all of the mishaps all yeah. of the bumps all of the you know the disagreements everything if we can go and we were such a small team it was me you two other people and an alternating road manager for the bulk of the thing and like that was it and if I could get through that I know that I could be an actor for the rest of my life yeah. <laughs> If you can put up living with me, you know, you're, you, can, you can you can be an actor. But also go back to like your musical roots, because you you had to learn guitar for that. I mean, I, I remember that because and I remember you getting so stressed because every group had to have someone who, who could play the guitar for the musical numbers. Yes, there were musical numbers in these shows. And I just remember like at one point and I, would, and I wouldn't blame you because you, know, you were very stressed about like, you know oh the person that group is an expert player like I'm only trying I'm, I'm only learning here and I can't keep up and I but you did very well and 
kind of the was, pressure that you put on yourself there and I think the pressure even the director might be putting on you a little bit as well um at the time but like that's that's another string to your bow to say that you did that as well you you learn guitar on the fly pretty much for eight months I know my god I think I was under so much pressure for myself was because like I do play an instrument and I know when music sounds good or not good and it just didn't sound good to me and I just was so full of doubt and it's funny because now like I I have a guitar and I love playing guitar and it's you know and I can play it a lot better now than I could in tour and but yeah I think it was just because I do play an instrument I come from a very musical family and I was so aware of what you needed that I definitely put myself under less pressure because like I was like I'm a musician but this isn't my instrument <laughs> you know like I've had nightmares about this get yeah. up on stage and suddenly I have an oboe in my hands and I don't know what to do with it you know oh, <laughs> and obviously being a musician and I'm going to segue into a story here because you, you need your hands to be a musician and I remember there was one particular time where you really you accidentally cut your hand yeah um and I remember blood all over the stage. I didn't realize because I came out in a chicken suit. I couldn't see anything. We had to have a little tussle. And I just remember you kind of slowly slinking to the ground and I didn't know what was happening. I was just following you around in a circle. I didn't see the blood, but then uh, obviously you were rushed to the hospital in the middle of that show. And me and my other two co-stars had to do a four person show as three people. That was an experience of itself. I wish. I wish that I had footage of you three doing that show. Oh, I wish own. I had footage of that because I, wish, like, I, I was like, I still think of that to this day. Or like, you can see that show. God, but but I remember the you came back for the show later in the afternoon, and your hand was all wrapped up, and I just I will still never forget this. We were in the middle of the the junior show, and um, I accidentally hit your hand (laughs) and I will never forget just the absolute uh, uh, death stare is too mild a word to what happened in that show I know like that put the fear of God in me at that time I was like but I understood because I I don't know how I accidentally hit your hand but my God if looks could kill I would have been dead ten times yeah I think it's all I turned around to you so my back was to the audience and I was like don't oh yeah it was almost like you know the slow head turn and just like oh my god just venom venom in your in, in your eyes and I don't blame blame you and then I of think, course I think Arno was with us our, our one of our directors and he basically volunteered to play the guitar for us for the next few shows because I, could, I couldn't with my hand oh he did hand. yes 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 is right I remember that and I think um, the first day that I went back to playing guitar I was changing a string and the string broke and hit my hand <laughs> oh no oh god yeah. yeah, I mean, like we went through so much. I mean, wasn't there like a joke in the company about how much bad luck our team had had? Like, we broke down. I think your van multiple times or a few times. Yes. And then I think when we had a rental car, I think one of the directors kind of crashed it. Do you remember? Yeah. Oh, those. Um, there was yeah, so our team. There was a lot of. There, there was that running joke of oh you know there, the, oh, I remember the joke yeah there's luck there's bad luck then there's bearskin luck because bearskin was our team name and yeah I remember that could be worse you could have bearskin luck because our oh shows God. were like they were good but we just had a lot of bad luck in and around oh, them do you remember the time that you're in that suit and you came up we had that crazy tiny stage oh, where the God. curtain wouldn't even fit we took like one pole out of the curtain so it make it fit and you came and you couldn't see anything and you Literally, your feet crashed over every single yes. prop. All the props. Broke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That was. Oh, my God. I'll never forget it. We had to go out with no guns. And 
somebody decided to be good just to do it. God. Yeah, because do you know what? Because that was on, it was in a lecture hall. So it was a really tiny lecture stage. It podium, it wasn't really a stage. Well, I think there might have been, there was a podium on a little small stage because I remember there was definitely a little bit of a stage. I think I tripped over it actually, like, and I landed in on all the props. And then I think I tried to regain my balance, but kept stumbling across so everything. You just kept on trying to like retrieve yourself and like every foot you put down, just it was like, the cup, the gun, the gun, the cup, the bucket of water, this, the, that. It was so funny. And the bucket of water fell because oh, we had God. water and fire at one point. In, oh, we did. Out. Yeah. And it was ne- an obvious concern. Not the best thing to have backstage when you got a speaker and iPods and elect- oh. and running cables, like going to the lights at the back or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I'd actually forgotten about that until you mentioned it there. But my God, yeah, we weren't uh, <laughs> we weren't operating maybe the safest uh, theatrical production. Uh, in the world I remember, how, I remember I just had a run where I was just sick constantly like I had bronchitis I was like and then I had laryngitis and then I had like all this stuff and actually when I went off to university in the first year I've had vocal issues that felt very similar at the end of tour with you I remember I rang my mom and I was crying and I couldn't speak and I, I told her I think I've broken my voice I don't think my, I think my voice has gone forever like mm. so 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 bad and then in the first year, at the end of first year, my first year in Spain in um, the Institute of the Arts Barcelona, they had to do surgery on my voice because I Either. apparently had had a cyst on my vocal cord wow. that I had had my whole life, but I didn't know on tour. So we were doing three shows a day. I was pushing and pushing my voice and it was never going to get better because I had this thing. And then I was also really sick. And just... Oh God, well, at least they at least they found it. But yeah, no, I, well, I think everyone had a period where like we were all just sick well sick sick in general and then on top of that sick and tired of the, the tour itself um, on the tour yeah there's definitely just like yeah because i think yeah drag at the end of drag like i didn't want it to end but at the same time because the end of tour we didn't really tour we kind of had the same apartment so we didn't really have the fun of changing place and seeing a new fancy accommodation or yeah. not so fancy it was just the same apartment for the last three months we changed and- rooms in the apartment that was about the that, yeah, that was about the height of it. I remember, yeah, I remember we had, uh, there was like one room that was like a double. And yeah. then there was uh, two other rooms there. One with a, bu- uh, with a bunk bed and then one with a single bed. And because there was like four of us, we'd, we'd go, okay, two people share it. Then the other two get the single rooms. And we had to change and alternate that week to week. Like that's one thing that I don't think I could do again is the not the like having to share a room. Like we we didn't do it. Like I feel like we didn't do it that often. Like I can't remember many times. Yeah, every once Claire. in a while. And it would happen once in a while, but I think that's one thing that's so important to me now. Just my own room. Like oh, it's absolutely. kind of it's kind of non-negotiable. Like I need my I don't care for touring, but I need I need my own room. I need to be away when I close the door. No one will, like I need to know that nobody will disturb me and I can read or I can watch Netflix or I can meditate or do yoga. Yeah. And just be just undisturbed. Yeah. Well, I learned from that as well because I know I was talking to you about this off air, but I did a Spanish tour very similar to this. But yeah. we had, they, they were uh, operating out of hotel rooms, but they made sure that every actor always had their own room, which I really appreciated. Like, you know, because yeah. it, it is tough, like sharing rooms with, like, with people, especially because you're in the van with them all the time. You're doing the shows with them all the time. You do need, do need your space. It's non-stop. Like I saw both of you. I mean, like, like you were saying, like we've known each other how many years and yeah, it doesn't matter how much time passes in between us. 
it'll just always be the same because we we shared every moment with each other we ate breakfast together we did a show together we're in the van we had to pack out everything like I could tell what you were thinking by the end of the tour like it was so together (laughs) I because I remember I had a period of like I really loved it up until Christmas and then after Christmas I was just really really depressed with it I'd say maybe from maybe the end of January up until around March and I remember coming back after Easter in April I was actually like really happy again and I found joy in it again but that was like there's only six weeks left so I was like gotta make them gotta make them count you know yeah I think I think there's a thing though like when you're not when you're halfway through or you're not even halfway through or you're just over halfway through and you're just like I have to do the same amount now that I've done and it's a long time like it, it's so like I remember the first day that we left Belgium we had that big 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 party the night before yeah. I think or I can't remember <laughs> a lot of things happened and then we left off in the van and I remember like Jordan was there <clears throat> And we knew Jordan and I really, I got on with him because I think he came to rehearsals a few times mm. and everyone said, Jordan's so fun to tour with all the rest of it. And we were in the van. And I remember we just like left Belgium and at one point we we're in France and there was just all these fields. And I remember just looking around the van at you, you know, the other two, whatever, the road manager. And I remember just being like, what have I done? I was like, I'm literally driving off in a van <laughs> with these people and they're going to be my whole life for the next eight months after already rehearsing six weeks in Dublin and in, in Belgium I I remember being like I did that was a moment of panic where I kind of thought oh my god there's no going back now like you're in I'm it stuck now. with these people and we were <laughs> we were I know ups and downs I mean like as I said to you before like we always had a lot of heart to hearts and obviously we had our bad moments as well where we were at each other's throats but I mean but you look back at that and you think well it would be weird if we didn't it would be weird if we didn't like it'd be very strange like the fact that like you know I I'll, I'll just like what you said before we start recording that fight we had backstage oh on yeah well maybe we'll talk about this because I remember it now I remember I, I look back on it and I, come, I know and we were like we could hear you on st- and we were just like ah. it just all came to a boil at that one moment where it just was so inappropriate where we had to go on stage and we literally just went <laughs> but, that, I, but I look back on that and I laugh because I'm thinking <laughs> That's like that is something out of a comedy show. It's like out of a sitcom because you had our two our two co-stars out there trying to perform a really serious scene, and we're behind a paper thin curtain having a huge argument, like just really loud and really audible. And I look back at that. I can't remember what we were arguing about, but I just remember. Look, I look back on it now, and I think that's hilarious. I think it's so. so fun. I mean, like, there's only so much you can push for people to do before it implodes. Oh my god. Do you remember when I fell through the stage? Oh, I remember, yes. Because that, oh, I well, I, I think I nearly fell through it because that stage, it was like a high on platform, it was a high platform. They had tie wraps holding the stage together. And every time you walked on it, it separated the stage just that little bit more. And you came out and you just went right through it. <laughs> and you know what I remember about that day as well? Because it was an evening show in Belgium and it was just for, um, like adults, you know, for, I can't remember. And I remember me and Connell <laughs> were really angry at each other before and we were having a go at each other in the van or something before. And it was quite bad. It was at the end of the tour. I think all of us at that, just that particular week, we were having a really shit time. Mm. And I remember being like, okay, let's just, let's, you know, get it together for the show. And they went off and I was like, like fuming. And I was like, oh. so just go out. And I was like, went out and I was like, hi. And I literally just stepped and I didn't even finish my first line because I stepped through the stage, <laughs> twisted my ankle, 
whacked my elbow and I was lying under the stage and I literally I shit you not I remember thinking you could just stay down here (laughs) the show must go on you could just not re-emerge and just (laughs) and I remember I had to like climb out of the stage there's no other way to do it of like climbing out like oh goodness (laughs) silly me And I was probably on the stage going, Aoife, Aoife. <laughs> that, that, was, that was our relationship in the show. I was playing the nerdy Sean. I just remember every time I would play that, I would play that up every time. <laughs> Aoife. I'll never forget the time that you came out in that military suit and that kid, do you remember the first row? Do you remember? No. What did he do? He literally, you walked out. He went, the view of her. Are we all in? I completely. <laughs> How did I forget about that? I I completely forgot about that. Oh my god, the Fuhrer! My god, it was just like a, a British military jacket. A British military suit, but some kid in the front of me went. Oh god, but I actually loved playing M in that because I I don't think I ever told you this, but. I was like, that was the part that I'm like, I can't wait to go out and do this because it's five minutes of what feels like semi-serious acting, even yeah, though it's a comedy play. I was like, I'm playing a British agent, but it felt it felt like Oscar Wilde to me in the moment. <laughs> do the British accent. It it honestly, that was probably my, my favorite role for a time because I just look forward to doing M and be like just getting that five to six minutes of just going out yeah. there and feeling semi-normal. I know because okay. like a lot of what we did was like comedy and or improvisation like I love NASA the crazy old lady who like spoke gobbledygook but it was so high energy that like and it was like an explosion they used to like leap off the stage and it was just like I just remember just sweating <laughs> I just remember like we must be fit as fiddles mm. like the amount of running around I did in those shows and jumping around jumping off the stage and oh it's, yeah it's so it's so high it's so high energy Do you remember the stage that was like really slanted and everything just started rolling down it. <laughs> was that in the Harry Potter school? Yes, it was. Yeah. And I had my birthday in that school. We had the little um it was like we went there twice and the second time it was my birthday. And you guys got all the students to sing happy birthday. And we went when we went for lunch, they had lunch in the school ready for us. And it was my birthday. So like, oh, we have a patisserie chef here. And in this dumb waiter, they pulled up like loads of cakes. And it was, yeah. it was actually one of my favorite birthdays. I, I really loved that. I think I turned 19. Oh, and it was God. honestly one of my favorite birthdays. I loved it. Even though that night we had to like clean our accommodation. Oh, and leave, yeah. with my head in the fridge. But I just remember being, oh, so lovely. But sometimes, I mean, and when you say, yeah, that was your 19th birthday, sometimes it feels weird. Like, yeah, you're, you're 25 now. Because I, I met you when you were 18. So it's, no. it just feels like... Um, some, it just feels weird sometimes, I suppose. It just puts age into perspective. Like, you know, not that, obviously not that I'm old, but, you know, just, uh, <laughs> it's just kind of think, I, I think of, when I think of you, I think still like 18, 19, but then I'm I know. Like, oh, she's 25 now. My God. I still think of 18. I, I, I think I got stuck at 19. <laughs> <laughs> just perpetually. That's my age was like not 25. I like, I, I don't even, yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, and I think now I was 18 and I just went away like that. I mean, that's, I mean, I always do that. I've lived in different countries. I went to Spain. Mm. I went on tour with you guys. I went to London. Like I'm used to and get excited by going places on my own. But like, I think now and like my little sister is like 19. My other little sister is 21. And like, that's like my sister have been away with a random troupe of traveling actors for a year. And I can't even imagine it, you know? God, yeah. Well, let's touch on that because your next big move Mm. um after after france i remember um your next week move was spain yeah and i'm i was always kind of curious like what uh what was the motivation 
like what made you specifically choose Spain at that time? It was kind of like a gut feeling. And I think that I, because, you know, in Ireland, like you go, you can go to drama classes, but it's not on a curriculum like at all. Like you can't do it for leaving cert, you can't do it for junior cert. So like, I think in terms of like, I definitely wasn't like marred by like the elitism of training in London, you know, all the, those drama schools and stuff. I didn't, it didn't kind of, I think, have the appeal or the need for me personally, like it does, I think, other pe- people may- maybe, like just because I just didn't know any better. Hmm. And I remember when I read about, because I had spent like about seven months, I think, in Ireland after tour doing a dance course, a full-time kind of BTAC thing, yeah. I think, because I, I didn't know what I was doing. I knew I wanted to possibly go training and I kind of was curious to see if I could dance kind of full time, if like I'd be able to, if I wanted to do that, because I thought, oh, I do musical theater because it's mu- it's like singing, acting and dancing. And I love all those things separately, but I didn't, I didn't even know what musical theater was. I didn't know that it was such a specific genre where it's musical theater dancing. It's not like contemporary and the kind of crazy weird stuff that I like, or it's drama, but it's only a very small amount of drama or acting, you know, mm. and it's singing, but it's very specific types of singing, you know? So anyway, but I had heard about this place and you know, when just your gut tells you that's it, like that's yeah. it was just so clear to me and it was a very intuitive thing. And I didn't want to train in, I didn't want to go to London. I think I had an audition for maybe Land or something. And the night before I was meant to audition, I got this voice like in my head saying, don't go there, you won't be happy there. And I just never went to the audition and I, kind of kind of happy I didn't yeah. um and I even remember somebody asking me like what are you going to do next year and I remember like before I'd even audition I was like I'm gonna go to Spain I'm gonna go train in Barcelona I think and it was such like a sure thing for me I was like this is what's right this is gonna happen um and I think I went over I had spent time with another girl Ruth from our company in Madrid mm-hmm. I think for a few weeks I went to Barcelona yeah. to audition I went off to Italy to work and I found out that I gotten into the acting course and the musical theatre course because I had auditioned for both and I and they're like you choose and I was like I don't know what to choose and I chose musical theatre because I thought I loved all those things separately and I didn't realise until halfway through first year that I loved them as their own things and I didn't love them together with musical theatre and doing them and I mm. you know the industry wasn't very appealing to me and you know the, anyway so anyway I I mean I had a great time and I I love I love the singing and I, I I miss doing that, but I definitely, I changed to acting then. Um, and I felt like that was the right decision. And I also felt like IAB, like, I mean, I can never sing the praises enough. Like it, it was just so good. Like all the teachers were so patient and they gave so much advice to you and they were so willing to help. And they were so, like, I honestly, like I left third year and even though I was terrified of the industry and I didn't even know what country I was going to be in or whatever I kind of felt like I was like okay but you know I've listened to the teachers and I feel like I kind of know what I'm kind of doing I don't know what I'm doing but I, I don't feel like I I'm confused like I know what I have to do now and I know how to act and I'm like not even I don't even mean drama acting I mean like I know how to act in a rehearsal room like I know I should turn up on time I know that I should be prepared you know like all these things that mm. make working easier for you and for other people and stuff you know um and like they supported me through like voice surgery and stuff. Like I remember my singing teacher like came with me to some of my appointments, even like on her own time in Barcelona. Like, you know, I just, I, yeah, I just felt like I came out like a different person, not a different person, but I just, it was just 100% the right thing for me to do, to go to that school, 
to go to um to change to acting I just like it, it was it's actually like I there's no shadow of a doubt that I was in the right school you know like that and that's so weird because I know so many of people I know like they do courses and they say oh, I did this but I'm not that interested or I did this that wasn't great I had this and like I just know that I should have been in that school and that's the one I was meant to be in but I did that and that was great you know like it was so it was so nice to feel not doubtful about it at all after leaving you know yeah that's that's really great especially I suppose considering like even going back to EITC when you did have a little bit of that doubt and then now you're like in Spain and it obviously helped facilitate like you know the evolution of like to where you are now as a performer and as a creative yeah yeah I mean I got loads of like great like even like the great opportunity like even in the showcase they were like oh well Sarah Lee you know you play cello so you could be an actor musician so you the cello should be in the showcase mm-hmm. and it was and like they they were like oh you can do a bit of singing you can do a bit of movement you can do your monologue and I could I got to do all those things and I got to showcase myself and they really cared about what what you showcase and from that like you know you know and I also got chosen to the school chose me to be put forward for this spotlight prize thing and then I ended up going to the finals and that was an amazing opportunity and I wouldn't have gotten that I don't think if I went to any other school yeah you know because I would have ended up probably of going to musical theatre in a different course never having the teachers with the same insight or the same level of care to almost suggest to me and be like hey would you think of coming over to acting or you know you seem like you have a very good flair for acting like would you try maybe you know like it was so thoughtful and so yeah. really like um like sensitive of them or something to kind of give that much kind of whatever and then then I you know got you know brought over to London for that show and it was in front of all these industry professionals and you know I had met you know this this agent in person there that I've been talking to and then which I'd eventually end up signing to and I'm still signed to now in London mm-hmm. and it was just an amazing opportunity and I met so many other talented incredible performers there but you know we you know now and again we still you know chat or whatever and you yeah. know it's it's it was just really lovely um yeah it was a good introduction to London like I got to get seen in London and then I was like right great I'll move here now like that's good that's a good yeah. well, that's amazing you had like you know the university in Spain or Barcelona as well to, to look out for you like that because I know a lot of colleges they pretty much leave you to your own devices they don't help you in that way it's like thank you you got your degree now go out into the world no that's... I mean like I I still like I remember when I had gotten I think I'm I went the, I think the two jobs that I got in London in the short time that I was there before COVID hit like seven months I had messaged both of like my main acting teachers, you know, like I, and I, one of them like, you know, came to see, you know, Christmas Carol and stuff. And, like I very, like there, there's a level of care there that I don't think you really find in other places. And it like, it's a yeah. newer school um, and all the rest of it. So like, you know, I think they really care about their, their students. Like I was helped with my voice, I was helped financially, I was helped. That's, that's really so good. Yeah, yeah. And what was the transition like, I suppose, going over to Spain? Did you experience any like culture shock or anything that, you know, because you, you were committing as well to, uh, you know, three to four years over there at the time. So yeah. did you have any apprehension upon going over? And then even the culture itself, did that, was there any shock there at all? I I didn't have any apprehension. I was just so ready for another adventure. You know, I saw mm. very itchy feet. I mean, it's a bit weird. Like it was just me, a suitcase and my cello on a flight alone in a country I didn't speak the language but like I I love that feeling when you like land in a country it smells different the heat's different and you're yeah. hearing all this language you have no idea how to speak it and you're just like 
can't wait to speak that language I can't wait to understand this you know <laughs> and no doubt you did because I know like even going back to France you were a lifeline because I remember I I mean I got lazy when it came to the language I've realized now because I've you know between France and Spain and I went to Prague for a little bit and I tried to learn the language but yeah, it ultimately yeah. fizzles out so at this point I'm happy to say I'm not good with languages I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember in France you um and Claire you are the other co-star like were uh, you know pretty good at French mm-hmm. and we relied on you Seth and Connell we relied on you for pretty much everything and we we got to the point where we're like well we don't need to learn this because the <laughs> girls were... I was enabling you <laughs> yeah so so I know you're pretty good with languages also I know you're fluent in Irish as well yeah, yeah. so I, I I have no doubt that Spanish wasn't a problem to you at all yeah I mean it was I definitely so the course is obviously all in English and we have this very international bubble where English was like the medium and stuff of communication, you know, all the rest of it. But I remember like, I was like, well, I, I, I'm renting rooms, so I need to pay rent. So I needed a job. And I think in first year I'd worked as an English teacher. It was disastrous <laughs> school. It was like, it was, I think it was called the Chinese Christian center or something in Barcelona. And it was just, I mean, I had gone out, I had no Spanish. Mm-hmm. The children had no Spanish. And the children had no English. Right. And they only spoke Mandarin. And I basically only spoke English, French and Irish. So it was very interesting to teach there. But then in second year, I'm a, and then I taught other things like art, maybe music and stuff. But then in second year, I got a job as a waitress. And they asked me, they're like, oh, because they spoke English. And they're like, oh, do you speak Spanish? I was like, yeah. And I just, I just lied because I needed the job so badly. And I spent the first couple of weeks not understanding anything like I would like if I go over to a table and I would ask in Spanish are you ready because I'd like learned that phrase and if they'd say yes I'd like have the menu beside me and instinctively if you're ordering something they would just look at the menu and point and say what it is mm-hmm. or just like write down the number from where they would point and that's like how I got by for two weeks and then I just picked it up like yeah just... when you when you're around it long enough and like you really want to learn it of course obviously yeah, yeah you're gonna, I mean you're now gonna... like I'm kind of like I haven't spoken French since tour and I haven't spoken Spanish since Spain so like I don't even know how how okay I'm trying to learn like Italian I had some Italian before and I'm trying to learn it again because my next mm-hmm. job I think is will be kind of there was some Italian in, in it and stuff and all the rest of it but like yeah I definitely didn't learn anything from a book it was very much by ear street Spanish I got confused in Catalan and Spanish sometimes oh yeah oh yeah there's a fierce uh, like I would speak Catalan thinking I was speaking Spanish and people would be like huh or like yeah yeah they they, they don't get it like you know and it might be yeah they'd be like that's not Spanish well I remember being in a in a restaurant once and it pretty much happened every time and they'd come over and they'd be asking me what you want to drink and I would say Coca-Cola Zero like huh what (laughs) Coca-Cola Zero ah Coca-Cola Zero yes it's like (laughs) such a minor thing like you know that... I mean to be fair I think the very first time I went into a supermarket there it's called Mercadona and I went in and I learned the word for chicken I was then not vegetarian because I thought oh being in Spain I'll definitely eat meat and I very quickly went vegetarian again or vegan or something but um I I went in and I was like oh so I knew the word for like you have is like tienes and I said I'll just say the the word and I was like tienes polla and the woman was like what? And I was like, yeah, he's poya, you know, and she was like, she's like, what? And I was like, it's so weird. So I found chicken on my own, got it, went, and I told my friend, I was like, it's so weird. Like I asked her, he's like, what's she saying? I was like, yeah, he's poya. And he's like, 
He's like, you asked her if she had a dick. I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, oh God. <laughs> oh yeah, I had to see that cashier for the next three years. <laughs> Oh, but something similar to, I mean, I remember I always thought like chicken was called pollo over there as well. And no, it's pollo, but I said pollo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, but I remember there was something about my pronunciation that the assistant over there, who was like the equivalent of the road manager in France, he was basically saying, no, you have to pronounce it this way because they didn't know what I was on about. Even yeah. though I was like, whatever way I said it, it still wasn't correct. Oh, no. But pollo, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> So yeah, but, I definitely learned. And there's other blunders and stuff for sure. Like I'd still crap a grab. I, I don't even, probably don't even know it anymore. Like I literally haven't spoken it since Spain. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I definitely, it's definitely handy to be able to pick up languages fairly quickly. Yeah. Definitely. And what was your favorite uh, outside of Barcelona? Like, you know, what was your favorite place in Spain? Like if you could go there again, you'd love to, you'd love mm. to go there. I am kind of ashamed to say that when I was actually studying, I didn't do a lot of exploring. Like we, I think I explored the, like I loved um, Patagonia because they had like an outside amphitheater. And I remember yeah. we went, we actually went as a class trip with a teacher that we had in second year, um, Sophie. And she's like one of my favorite teachers. We were doing this Greek um, show with her, Antigone. And we did a lot of like crazy, like almost trippy kind of Greek chorus work with her. And we had gone out to this kind of trip to see the amphitheater, maybe do some of the stuff in the middle of the amphitheater. We ended up kind of like finding this big group of kids and the kids kind of became part of it. And it was like this whole thing and it's lovely and beautiful. And But I think, I mean, I went to Madrid and I absolutely loved Madrid. And I remember I went with a friend to Toledo, which is like an old kind of city outside Madrid. And it's beautiful. And yeah, but honestly, like, I mean, Oh, I also loved um, Montserrat, but that's in Barcelona, like the mm. serrated mountains. Yeah, like, um, but yeah, I think the only place that I really went was like Madrid, Barcelona. And then kind of in Catalonia, I went to like places like Salau, Patagonia. Yeah. Was some other, I can't remember. But I think honestly, my favorite place was Sitges because it was a tiny town in Barcelona that I made my home for three years. I'd swam there almost every day. I'd made friends with people, local, like it was just like, I, and I still haven't been back and I'd meant to go and then have done a kit. And like, I think my first destination holiday would be Sitges because like I lived there for three years. It's such a long time, you know? Yeah. Well, I just, yeah, I'd love to go back for sure. Oh, excellent. Cause I, I know I've been like around a lot as well. Like I lived in Valencia, like for a while and that's yeah. so, I'd re- if you ever go back, I'd recommend going to like Valencia. Yeah. Everyone recommends it. It's just, we literally like it was so hard like we were training we were training such long hours for like five days a week like I think people think that when you do something like a drama degree like you think a degree and you think oh yeah this that, and the other but it was literally like nine to whenever the director maybe wanted to finish like five yeah. days a week, and then also maybe if you had tech and stuff it was like it was just so intense like and I, I speak so highly of my time there but also like I had really hard times like I was working my ass off in every spare hour I had I was working as a waitress or as an English teacher or music or art teacher like all the time I was working I was worn I was worn down I was just really stressed like I went through some very dark times as well and then you had to turn up and you had to give everything emotionally like I, de- I definitely saw some dark times in Spain yeah but I definitely don't it's not something like I regret or I feel like oh this that like I know that if I went back now it would probably be very different like I have to oh yeah go through that to understand how to keep myself in an even keel when I am really overloaded or when I am working on a job or when I am rehearsing you know 
yeah, that was really important and mental health was important. And what was great is that I remember acting teachers were, I mean, the head of acting, you know, yeah, they were just very good and very understanding, I think. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, you I, need to have the, the bad times to have the good times. I mean, you know, you need well, to, and it's, it's all a learning curve, learning experience. So, yeah, I mean, like, I remember, like, I think in third year, like, <laughs> me and my two flatmates, like, I remember we just, I think it was just, I think the three of us just sat in the balcony, just crying together. I think we just had like a mute, I mean, we, like, it wasn't like an uncommon thing to just be like crying. And you didn't even have to ask what was wrong. It was just kind of like mutually understood that so just you were crying just because it was just very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I, I, I get that. Trust me, I get that. Like just from, you know, all different kinds of experiences. But I mean, Barcelona, beautiful city. I was my favorite place I've gone to in Spain. Yeah. And, that, and I didn't even tour there. I just went there for a weekend myself. And yeah. I have to say just and I went there at the end of November. And I think I even contacted you and said, I'm in your neck of the woods, you know, but it was just so... Uh, was I there? I wasn't being there. Was no, I think I? you were working at the time, but I definitely messaged you because I was only there for like a day or so, but... And that was it. I remember being like, damn it, I can't believe I missed him. <laughs> yeah, because, but it was just at the end of November, it was so relaxing. Like, I think I liked the, the aspect of it, like that English is widely spoken, so I didn't have to rely too much on Spanish. But yeah, it was just a very beautiful city. If I could go back there, I'd definitely go back there. Uh, to Barcelona yeah, it's it was definitely still, gorgeous like there's definitely issues with like um like airbnbs and you know too many tourists and all this kind of thing and like it's mm. driving the rent up and all the rest of it but like it's so beautiful like the gothic era in Barcelona like Raval all these different quarters it's just so beautiful like and then yeah. you come to Sitges which is in Barcelona but like kind of on the outskirts and it's like gay town you know it's just on the sea like my apartment was never more than like a five minute walk from the sea mm. it's just so beautiful like it, it didn't matter what my day was like I would never walk by the sea and not think oh my god do I live here the palm trees the blue the sun the fruit tasted so good everything was yeah. so cheap the way of living was easy the people and the pace was relaxed Whereas in London, it is brutal. It's raining. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. It's expensive. It's noisy. It's, you know, and I don't like, I think when I'm going to be going back, I'm going to be living in Sussex for a while. Mm. And I think that's full of nature. There's loads of like, you know, like lakes and stuff you can bathe in. And originally I was like, oh, I'll be, so, I'll be kind of 40 minutes from London. And then I actually thought, I think that I'd actually prefer to be somewhere like that because I love swimming daily and, and like nature swimming. Yeah. I love nature. It's important to me, you know. So I think actually it'll be maybe a nice kind of way to ease myself back into the UK, you know? Absolutely, of course. Yeah, because London, it's a different kettle of fish over there. It's just go, 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 go. Mm. Whereas I do get you about you go to somewhere like Spain and yeah, you do have to pinch yourself and say, my God, I live here now and it's so tropical and sunny and uh, yeah, be beaches everywhere. And then you go and so laid back as well. Oh, I know. And then you go to somewhere like London and it is just go, 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 you know, get out of my way, and, you know. Yeah, and it's a brutal and like people are can be quite rude or in in I mean I might get your names, but like not ingenuine, but like kind of like they kind of ask how are you, but they don't really ask how are you. And like there's not the kind of friendly chat in between strangers so much, unless everyone's drunk and it's at a pub or something. But yeah, you know, so it felt like I definitely went to the wrong. I let myself, I think, be swept up in London. I let go of things that ground me, like meditation or yoga or you know, I think I did too much like working, working, working to get money and then auditioning, auditioning and then getting a job and getting completely swept up in the job and, you know, staying out late and always having a drink after the show and always having, I'm smoking loads and like, 
this time, like when I go back, like first and foremost, my practices, like my running, yoga, breath work, all the things that make me healthy and that make me grounded and that make me feel secure, like has to come first or else I don't really think London will work for me, you know? Yeah. And is that the same, say, if there was another upcoming actress or actor who was thinking of moving to London, would that be the same advice that you would give to them? Yeah, 100%. Like, I think it's like when you move away, you're always going to feel ungrounded because you've left what you know, you come to a new place and you want to fit in. So a lot of that time is going to be like going out for drinks, getting drunk with people, so you're friends with people or like, you know, being like, I don't think because I think like, I don't, was I smoking before I went to London? I don't know, but I definitely know that I always end up smoking when I moved to a new place. And I was thinking about it recently. I, I quit smoking in like last May or something. And, um, but I remember thinking, why is that? And I thought, oh, it's because it's a way of conversing with people. You're in the smoking area, you get a smoke, you're chatting, you're this, you're that. Mm. And like possibly getting drunk too much because you just want to socialize and drink and socialize and it goes hand in hand. And, you end up kind of like treating yourself not as well as you kind of should be treating yourself. And then, you know, you're just tired and hungover and then you're working really hard. And then you're, it's kind of like a work hard, play hard thing. Whereas I want it more balanced. Like I don't want to kind of lose what makes me feel good. Even like, and even though I loved when I was working on a show and stuff, but I was definitely like always staying for a drink afterwards to socialize and be getting home really, really late sleeping in really late not doing yoga not going for a run not being mm. out in nature or being able to prepare myself good food and then just be eating any old trash going to the next show and I just it's not like it's not sustainable and even though I think COVID was like I, was, I spent like two weeks crying when COVID happened because I I couldn't believe that I'd lost this contract you know all the rest of it but um for me it was great because like, I quit smoking I haven't drunk in like 11 months not that I needed to not mm-hmm. drink but I just wanted to give myself a like a break, break and yeah you know, I wasn't even like, I wasn't even drinking that much in London. Maybe when I was doing a show, I was, but the months leading up to COVID, not really, but I just, I needed to kind of take all of the crap out of my life, you know, like, so I went into COVID and then like, you know, quit drinking, quit smoking, caffeine, you know, we weren't really allowed to socialize. So you you Mm -hmm. kind of chose who to socialize with, who you're going to video chat with, you know, it was very like clean everything out of my life and yeah. like, important that like not that I don't think I'll stay not drinking I don't like I'm not um I don't yeah. have, but um, it is nice to get that break away because I know exactly what you mean I did that last year when it first hit with social media because I just couldn't hack it anymore at yeah that time. Mm-hmm. um but that's what I always say about COVID as much as it's ruined like everyone's day-to-day life as as awful as it is mm-hmm. you know I think you have to look at the bright side and I think you have to make the most of, you know, the time you have during this COVID era and maybe treat things that might have been neglected for too long, like be it a creative project or something that you are holding off doing. But also, I think it's it's given like yourself there, it's given perspective and time for you to now say, OK, this didn't work for me. I'm going to cut all that negative stuff out of my life and I'm going to not forget uh, to, you know, bring it back in, in a positive way into my life going going forward. You know, you're going to look at all that. You know, I think that's that like that's what's good that's coming out of COVID really yeah yeah and knowing that, yeah exactly and it was, I'm like obviously it's not that you should be doing stuff in COVID like I know like you know I felt pressure to do things and all the rest of it. there's a time where I got so depressed over not being able to act that I couldn't even read plays I couldn't watch online theatre I was doing these amazing online play readings I'm still am now with Corona Days plays it's just 
incredible group of people, mind-blowing, amazing. I'll always plug it because it's such a wholesome, safe community of people. Like it's, it's actually one of my favorite things to to COVID is, is joining that play group. But there's a time I couldn't even do that because I was just so, I couldn't, I couldn't hack anything to do that thing because I was so sad that I couldn't do it. And I felt like, and then there's a moment where I thought, oh, well, I was just beginning. I just graduated. I'd just gotten a job. I was just about to go into my next one and I'll just be lost now and I'll never be able to do it. And I'll never end up going back to the UK or I won't be getting parts or I'll just get forgotten about and that's that kind of thing. Yeah. And I just couldn't, and I just decided to then not give it. I know this sounds terrible, but I decided to tell myself to not give shit about it. Like I literally was like, doesn't worry, it doesn't matter. Like if you get a self-tape through, great, do it, but don't spend your days worrying and wanting something that is or isn't there. I was like, you, it's done. Just put it on hold, just get it out of your mind. And as soon as I yeah. did that and started doing stuff like, you know, training again, like circusy things and aerial hoop or trapeze yeah. that, you know, I started doing that I love and like horse riding or other artistic things as soon as I cleared my mind from that things kind of started filtering in you know and yeah, yeah. but that, that's what you need to do because if you dwell on something like that in a really negative light for too long it'll do it'll do you in yeah you know, and, yeah. and especially considering with COVID it's all out of your hands anyway yeah and you did the exact you did the right thing there you did exactly what you needed to do and you focused on more positive things mm-hmm. yeah and okay. things that you might not have got to do in a while and you're thinking oh like it, it for me I know it's reawakened a lot of things that I haven't done in a while I'm like oh I remember how how much I used to enjoy this and now I'm finding more time to do it you know yeah. so it's all about it's all it's, it is all about that so like f- fair play well done and obviously you know you're going back to the UK so you know your worries were in vain anyway yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm I'm really excited because there's a moment there where I kind of thought like will I go back to the UK like is there a point should I stay here and honestly like I feel like Ireland was a little bit closed off the theatre community like I kind mm. of you know I kind of felt like it was a tiny bit like you're either in or you're out kind of thing and you know, my agents over in the UK and, but now that I'm seeing that stuff is opening up and like so many people are getting jobs, so many theatres are opening. The thing about the UK is that when you get a part in something, it's a hundred percent your part because I mean, now uh, there, there's probably people and instances and perhaps organisations who this doesn't apply to, but you audition and they audition loads of people and then the part is you're in or you get recommended or you somebody's worked with you and they ask you to work again with them or something and it's because it's because you deserve it where sometimes I feel like in Ireland like it's not what you know it's who you know you know yeah a little bit you know like it's on networking yeah maybe not maybe it's just because I you know I literally have very little I mean I've I haven't lived here in like so many years like like five years so that's understandable but I just love the fact that in the UK when you get a job like it's that job is yours like you went through the rounds to get that job you know you you really deserve that job and it's something so nice where it can be so brutal because you see especially now with COVID so many people are out of work and stuff there's like thousands of submissions going in just for one tiny little role on a commercial you know yeah yeah you know it's so good because when you get something it's just like it's just like no other feeling it doesn't matter if it's like in a pub theater it doesn't matter if it's on a, a big huge opera stage it's just you just go oh my god I'm gonna get to do what I love and I'm gonna get paid for it and somebody's gonna value my time and my whatever to do this and I I get to meet all these amazing people and these skilled artists and like London like it's so insane how many talented and amazing people can be in like such a small space at the same time it's just like oh 
<laughs> yeah. But and also during COVID as well, you did have because you're a musician, you're, you know, a, a cellist. So you obviously had a lot of how did you find the transition then? Like as far as the music industry goes and like your musical talent, like how did you find the transition for COVID there? Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely have imposter syndrome when it comes to cello, you know, like 100 percent. Like I I always struggle to say that I kind of play cello or that I do this, but like it was great to be honest. I, I am friends with, um, you know, or I've worked with Dennis Kilty, who you know, Zoe's, yeah, and mm. I, you know, he's an amazing composer, and I'd worked with him before, so when I came back into the country, you know, things came up, I would get recording work with him and stuff, you know, because we've, we've worked together before, so that was really great, and I always have such good fun with him, because we work together really well, because he'll just play something or sing something and I'll play it back to him. And that's the way I love working. And it's very relaxed and we know each other really well and we have a laugh, and, you know, whatever. Um, and then like some other random things, like I think a, a few months after I came home, I I was on the Late Late Show with Codeline randomly. They needed yeah. a chalice. And yeah, just, I think I, I, did, I did see that, yeah. It's like very surreal because this is not the time where like everyone thought the world was like ending. Mm. It was like the apocalypse and then I hadn't seen anyone for like months other than my mom. And also, strangely enough, Killian Murphy, who I kept him like passing near my house. He, I think he was, he lives there or something. And I just remember just being like, so all I see, the only people I recognize in my life in these few months are my mother and Killian Murphy, who now and again, I like, see pass me by. And I just remember feeling like it was like this fever dream that I yeah. wake up from. And then the next day it was like, oh, you're on the Late Late Show. And it was like all these lights and camera and live television all this flashiness and I just remember like kind of like being like this isn't real this isn't yeah. happening like it's not even the, like oh my god it's so amazing it's not happening I was like it's a pandemic a deadly pandemic and the only people I see are my mom sometimes I see Kelly Murphy and now it's the late late and I just remember kind of always feeling like this isn't real or like, yeah know? I get that but it must but, be nice uh, as well because you know I said at the start of the show like you know obviously being a cellist being an actress yeah. you know you're also you did gymnastics for a period as well you're good with languages um but like a new musician on top of it like it's good to have all these things that you're not just in one camp so it must have been good I suppose to be able to get music gigs like that like even if yeah. you know they might be in front of no crowd but you're getting a chance to perform so it must feel yeah. Uh, relative it must feel like you're going back to normal somewhat it did like I think a few weeks ago um I was recording with a band called The Scratch they're a great band like you know very Irish really sound bunch of lads and stuff and we were you know playing for like a live it was like an anniversary of their album we're playing like a kind of a, a a stream for their kind of um when your anniversary of their album and it was like me and I think two other string players and it was like really amazing done we had rehearsed in Whelan's I think I was one of the few people in Ireland to get to see the inside of Whelan's during COVID <laughs> mm -hmm. it felt surreal because I hadn't been in that building in years and I was like oh it's like last year I was in here and I was like I haven't been here in ages <laughs> and it's so weird and then we filmed it really well amazingly shot like all these things and there was this one bit where the strings weren't needed and this young guy legs comes on in the middle of them and he starts doing this like kind of like Shannos hybrid tap kind of amazing dancing and I remember and they were playing and they were hell for leather and I was on the sidelines and they in the dark and I fully just like I suddenly like, I just started crying because I hadn't seen somebody dance to live music with real musicians in so long and I yeah. hadn't realized 
I always said, oh, it's such a shame. And I realized I hadn't been around that in so long. And it was so moving to see somebody just be so talented at dancing and musicians be so talented, you know, music. And they were all going hell for leather. And it was just, I just felt so privileged to be there because I thought, wow, I'm like one of the few people in the room that get to see this in person, yeah. you know? And of course it was amazing playing with live musicians and like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was amazing. It was, it was so much fun. So it's, but it's, it's definitely been a challenge because like, I always feel like, oh, I'm not a cellist. My degree's in cello. You know, I feel kind of imposter syndrome. I was never good at sight reading. I just that and the other, but like, I mean, that's okay. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. even if I am the worst cellist in the world, like who cares? You know what I mean? Like who? Like, yeah, well, there's so much more to you. Like you are a good cello player. I know yeah. that because I've heard you, but like there's so much more to you than that. It's not like you're just singularly focused on that. Yeah, either, so. I think that's my thing is that I think that like, because I, I do, like I'm very, love doing a load of different things. I have so many different interests. I have so many different things that like, I think that sometimes I feel like if I do one thing, I have to be like the master of that one thing. Yeah. But like, if you do a million different things, that's just not going to be possible. Like I didn't do my degree in cello. I did in acting. Like that's the thing that I really honed in on. That's my, mm. what I feel like my main mojo is, but like, you know, where I do aerial hoop, like, of course I'm not going to be amazing at that because I don't, it's not my main thing. You know, I don't train at nine to five, five days a week for three years, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got one more question just before we wrap it up, because we've been on quite a journey here, you know, <laughs> between, uh, you know, France, Spain, uh, London, uh, yeah. music, singing, acting. But if you could go back to 2014 and you could tell 18 year old Sarah, I give her, you know, if you could give her some advice, you know, what, yeah. what would you say to her now? Based on where you are now, what would you say to your younger self? Little Sarah about to go on tour with Alan Grant. What would I mm. say? I don't even know. I don't, I feel like I wouldn't want to give advice to myself because that's how I learned. Like, that's how I learned. Like, there's so many things I look back on and I was like, Jesus, like, you were so, like, all over the place. But of course, I was, like, the, like, you are, like, when you do things for the first time, like, you can get all of the advice you want, but at the end of the day, mm. you're going to have to learn how to do it yourself, you know? Like, you can't redo things because, you know, like, I got, you know what I mean I suppose yeah. like if I was to give advice to someone younger I'd just say that like even though you're in a performing arts industry and even though you're acting or singing or dancing or whatever but people care a lot less of what you do than what you think they do you know it's easy when you're in a performing arts thing to feel like people are watching you and waiting and this that and the other but nobody cares nobody cares you know and people don't really know the difference between take one and take five or you know, one way you did it and the other way you do it, like, you know, like work really hard. Like you might not be able to do it as an incredible job one night as you did in the first night, but what you can do is you can turn up 15 minutes early before your arrival time. You can make sure that all your lines are learned. You can make sure that you've done every single piece of work in the script before you turn up to rehearsal. Like there's things that you can't control, but there are things that make you really easy to work with. And that's being you know, you turn up, it doesn't matter what time other people are turning up, you do your work and it doesn't matter if people are grumbling or this that, and the other, you just do it because nobody is gonna remember, you know, pe people remember that stuff. I remember that yeah. stuff about people. I remember when people are easy to work with. I remember when people were constantly late or bitching about people all the time. Like I, 
that's what I remember. Like if I were to ever choose to work with people, I would kind of leave the biggest like talent to the side if it meant that somebody else was a joy to work with. I'd work with them over the other person. And that's something that everyone can control, you know? Yeah, no, I totally get you. Totally get you. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. Uh, I want to wish you the very best luck going back to London. I hope coming out of this COVID era, I hope work picks back up and, (laughs) you know, we can go back to some sense of normality. But I know you're going to do great. And thank you so much for joining me. And I wish you the best of luck. Oh, thank you. Well, that wraps us up here for episode three of Creative Sessions with Creative People. I've been your host, Alan, and I want to thank Sarah for coming on to the show. She was a fantastic guest, a great interview, and I wish her all the best of luck uh, moving back to the UK following this damn COVID-19 virus. I really hope it's an easy transition for her, and I wish her all the best of luck in her future stage work and uh, musical work and whatever else she is going to end up doing, no doubt. Uh, Keep pushing forward, Sarah. You're rocking it. And yeah, the very best of luck. Um, So that's it for me for today, folks. I've been Alan, your host, and I want to thank you for listening. And until next time.